Well, if you have your Bibles, and I really hope you do, you can turn to the book of Philippians. We're going to be in um, chapter 2, verses 12 through 18. Um, And just to kind of get us active here, if you have your Bibles, and if you don't, it's okay, it'll come up on the screen. Would you stand with me? I want to read this passage to you. The Apostle Paul, he is writing this to a church in a place called Philippi. He's in prison, so just imagine that for a moment. He is in prison. He's probably been in prison for at least three, maybe four years at this point. He wrote this letter to them about 10 years after he planted this church. And so he writes to them and he says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, Work out your own salvation. Everybody say salvation. Salvation. With fear, trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. We would never do that, right? That's just our kids do that, right? Grumbling, disputing. You don't need that. We won't touch on that verse because you got that figured out. Verse 15, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God. Everybody say children of God. Children of God. Without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray for us again. Father, thank you that we are your children if we are in you, Christ. Thank you that you have put a calling on our life to shine like stars in the midst of a crooked, twisted generation. And we want to shine. And so tonight, would you equip us to shine like stars in this dark world that we live in. We thank you for your word. We thank you that it's living. We thank you that it's active. We thank you that it can speak to us tonight in ways that are just beyond what we could imagine. And I pray that you would do this. Pray this in your name. And everybody said... Amen. Amen. All right, you can grab a seat. We're going to, I want to start at the very center of this passage. In the very center of this passage is verse 15, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God. And it says, without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine. As lights in the world. I want to start here. um, And it teaches us really three things. Who you are. Identity. Identity statement. Who you are. The world we live in. And the calling God has given each and every one of you. Did you know God has a calling on your life? In fact, 
um, the most frequent description of a Christian in the New Testament is called. You are called. And so this passage, like I said, verse 15, it teaches us who you are. It teaches us the world we live in. And it reminds us of the God-given calling that we have. So, so who are we? Who are we? Well, it says right here, you are children of God. What does that mean? Well, if you are a child of God, God, therefore, is your what? Father. Your father. Just, just take that in for a second. Your father. The God who spoke the world into being is your dad. Now, we get weird when it's like, can we call father dad? I suppose, why not, right? I don't call my father father. I mean, some people do that, right? And good for them. That's neat. But like, my dad is dad, right? Or when my kids come to me, they're not, father, father. That does have like a... Just a, a sweet um, little house on the prairie feel to it. Pa, but, but what is it? Daddy. Daddy. And here's the thing about my children that they haven't quite gotten yet. They think that I can just like afford anything. They think that like just I can do anything. I can get anything. And so they ask for it. And they don't do this to other people, right? They don't go to the neighbor and ask for a Lego set. They don't go to the neighbor and ask for lunch. They don't go to even their aunt and uncle and ask for these things. No, they come to dad because why? They know that I'm dad. And they have this picture, I'm very glad about it, that I am this generous father. I am this loving father. I am this gracious father. And we have a father that is 100,000 million times better than that. I realize that's not a number, but, but that's who you are. We are children of the living God. He is our father. We are his children. That's your identity. That is who you are. But then it says the kind of world we live in. And what does it say here? Despite the fact that we are children of God, children of the king, it doesn't mean we live in a palace. What we live in is what Paul describes as a crooked and twisted generation. That's encouraging, right? This is where you live, twisted and crooked. This Greek word for crooked, it literally means harsh. We live in a harsh world. Anybody feel that? We live in a lost, lonely world. We live in a world of what's frankly a, a bit dark. Is it, Is anybody feeling this? Am I the only one? Give me an amen if you feel that. And it's not just because it gets dark at 445 now and it's just like you feel cold all the time. I despise this season. But listen, we live in a dark world. 
Um, just this week, I was uh, at Starbucks. I work from there from time to time. And I, I start talking to this barista that I know. And um, she, we were just talking about this season that we're in. And she said, thank you. You are, you are one of the few nice customers. Now, I don't just say that to say, look at me. Because what she said next is she said, it feels like everybody is negative. It feels like everybody is on edge and angry. And about, I don't know, five weeks before this, I was talking to a completely different Starbucks barista and asking her how her day was going. And she said, you know, I'm doing all right. And I said, well, how come all right? Which, by the way, is a really great gospel, just open door there. When someone's asked, if someone says, I'm doing all right, just simply ask, why all right? Easy open gospel opportunity. And she said, you know, I, I just have to deal with so many difficult customers. Just everybody is difficult. And then I was uh, at Chase Bank last week, and, um, and I was talking to the banker, and I said, can you tell me a little bit about this season that you're in? What, what customers are like? And he's just like, it is so, so difficult. Everybody is on edge. Is, is anybody feeling, we can be a talking church, is anybody feeling that, yeah? Some of you are like, I'm on edge, right? <laughs> Don't mess with me. Like you're speeding here, like cutting people off. You would never do that because you are a child of God that is blameless. Let me tell you why that actually may be incredibly good news. The darker it gets, the brighter the gospel will seem to people. I was talking about with this friend, with, uh, with a friend of mine at Starbucks. It's my jam, guys. Just trying, to be, just trying to be with the people, all right? But we were just talking about how all you have to do is be nice. And people are like, who are you? Right? What an incredible opportunity. I truly believe it. And this is my prayer. And I'm so excited. And I think you're going to hear more and more and more of this as a church. Is guys, you have an opportunity, I really believe, to reach more lost people in your life than ever before. Because they're more lost they're more lonely, they're more angry, they're more frustrated, they're more broken. The level of anxiety that we are living in the midst right now is absolutely astounding. And we have the cure for it all, don't we? We have the gospel. And, that, and that's where Paul goes next. He goes, okay, I just need to remind you, you are children of God. That is your identity. That is who you are. But you live in the midst of, frankly, a pretty crooked, pretty twisted world. There's a lot of lies. There's a lot of darkness. There's a lot of loneliness. There's a lot of pain. There's a lot of anxiety. And so here is the calling I'm putting on your life shine. 
shine like stars in this world. Shine the light of the gospel. This brings us back to that passage where Jesus says, you are the light of the world. He doesn't say, would you be some light? He says, no, 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 you are the light. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it underneath a bowl. Why would they do that, right? Why would anybody light a lamp and put it underneath a bowl? Instead, put it on stand so that everybody in the house can see. That's what you and I are called to. Not just called, but get this, commanded by Jesus to go and do this. Um, I'm reading, well, I'm rather listening to this book. I like audio books quite a bit, especially when they're missionary biography. But this is so good that I got the actual Kindle version. I need to reread it. But it was uh, sharing uh, just stories about those in the mission field. And it was sharing this story about um, a, a ex-Muslim girl. She was working um, kind of in the midst of... Um, a closed country. Um, there was a lot of refugee stuff going on. And she um, had the opportunity to lead 31 different women to Christ. She's just a young gal, probably younger than Katie. And um, she meets this missionary, the missionary who wrote this book. His name is Nick Ripkin. I don't think that's his real name. He, he had to write under that name because of the work that he does in different places. And, um, and so she's sharing with him like she's got to lead 31 Muslim women to Christ. And then all these Muslim men hear about it and they're trying to kill her. So they, they get her out of the country and, and Nick Ripkin meets her and just says, hey, if you can stay, you got to stay. And, and it was too late. And so she moved to like the Midwest. <laughs> uh, I don't know why I'm laughing at that. I've never been to the Midwest. I'm sure the Midwest is fantastic. But it's probably like nothing she'd seen before. And Nick Ripkin said, well, listen, we're, we're, we're just a state away. And so Nick came back home and, and, and got a hold of her and said, hey, why don't you come and visit us? We'd love to just spend some time with you. And so this gal, she, she comes and visits uh, Nick and his wife in, in, uh, in Kentucky. And they go to a church. And at this church, the place is packed. And um, there's a whole family there that is getting baptized. I think the parents had come to faith and the kids came to faith. The whole family's getting baptized. And, and, and they're on stage and the pastor's kind of talking them through it. And they're, uh, this you know, ex-Muslim girl and Nick and his wife are sitting you know, somewhere in, in the middle. And she's just kind of like, just kind of doing one of these. Like, you know, it, it seems like she is just on edge and like, what is wrong? And Nick like leans over, she's, he's like, are, are you, is everything okay? And she looks at him like with tears filling her eyes and says, no one's going to arrest them. No one's going to kill them. They are up there and are all ready to be baptized. Why is everybody sitting? And why is everybody silent? 
And Nick's like, you can shout. If you, I mean, you, you can go for it if you want. Maybe I'll join you. She just kind of sat back and just kind of just was blown away, tears streaming down her face. And I feel like that can be us. We just sit there like, oh, that's neat. They're getting baptized. Oh, they're saved. That's awesome. When this passage is going, that is awesome. But did you know that you are called to go and be a light and lead people to get saved and then be up on stage baptizing them yourself? Can you imagine if that was just the culture of our church? You're all just like sharing the gospel day in and day out. Why? Because you're a light and it's dark out there. And darkness is not good. You trip, you fall. It's scary. And so when you shine the light of the gospel, it's not like people are going to go, ah, blinding. I really believe that if you share the gospel, it's going to be like a light on a table when the power goes out. And you are like, wow, that's nice. Or there's this other story where a completely different Muslim woman, she's in her 20s, marries this man, kind of most likely forced marriage, and and the man is like, uh, gosh, like in his 40s. He's older. There's a whole story about him. The long and short of it was really bad man gets saved as he's dying of cancer. As he gets saved, his wife gets saved, They've got, I think, two little kids. He dies, and she's in this closed country. She says anything about Jesus. She could be killed, thrown in prison. Two little ones. What do you, I mean, like, what would you do? She says, well, Jesus has given me this calling. He's changed my life. Why would I not tell anybody and everyone? So she starts sharing the gospel with these different people. She gets arrested. They don't have prisons for women in this part of this Muslim country. And so what they do is they, they have like this, literally this basement, like one of those like hatch doors you open up and there's stairs down. You're like, I ain't going down there. And, and so in the police, uh, the police station. And so they throw her down there. I mean, just imagine, like, I mean, there's, there's rats running around down there. There's sp- spider. I mean, just, it's, it's not good, friends, okay? There's a reason why you hire somebody to go under your own house. Amen, right? So they throw her down there. Completely dark. Pitch black. What do you do? She's got rats scurrying around her. So she just starts singing, singing gospel songs as loud as she can. And there's even like this joy in her voice. Several hours go by and the hatch lifts up and it's the chief police commander. And he walks down and she's thinking, okay, this is the end of me. God, I hope you take care of my kids. I know that you will. And the chief drags her up. And says, where'd you get this joy? Why, why are you singing those songs? Why are you not afraid? 
my wife, all the women in my home, they are fearful of everything. You're going to come home with me. And you need to tell everybody in my home about why you're not afraid. And who, who this Jesus is. But many of us, right? Many of us are like, we don't even get to the point where we sing in the midst of darkness. We don't get to the point where we have the courage to share the gospel. And maybe I'm only preaching to myself and y'all are a bunch of just evangelists, right? But I struggle with this. But what would happen if we did? What might happen if we truly believed that the Holy Spirit is in us and will give us the words to say? What if we believed that God wants to use you and I to lead lost people around us? Like Romans 10 says, how will they ever hear the gospel if no one goes and speaks? Will we speak? And so here's what I love about the rest of this passage. I want to point out something at the front and something at the back that, that I think strengthens us to be bright lights. Strengthens us, motivates us, inspires us, stirs us up to go and be bright lights in a dark world. So let's go back track a little bit here. Let's go back to verse 12. He says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, we just got to stop there for a moment. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. What does Paul mean by that? Let's be clear here. He does not say work for your salvation. He says work out your salvation. We don't work for our salvation because Christ has already done all the work. But what does it mean to work out your salvation? Now, I'm going to give you uh, a, a theological word that you can show off at Thanksgiving with your family and be like, listen, what I learned. Maybe you already know this. It's not that big of a word. There's no Greek involved in it. There's salvation and then there's sanctification. Sanctification is not the process in which you get saved. That's salvation. Salvation is the work of Christ and Christ alone. We believe in Him. We are saved. We have salvation. But sanctification is the process in which you and I become more and more like Jesus. That's sanctification. That's what He's speaking about. Work out your salvation. Grow in sanctification. Grow into becoming more and more like Jesus. Jesus, how many of you want to be more and more like Jesus? I mean, that, I think sometimes we really downplay that one or don't talk about it as much as we ought to. We've been invited, we've been empowered by the Holy Spirit to be more like Jesus. Jesus is perfect in love. 
Jesus is perfect in grace, perfect in mercy, perfect in humility. Jesus is perfect. And sanctification is the process in which we become more like Him. And so Paul, before he gets to this light talk, before he gets to this, you know, you are stars in the sky in the midst of a dark world. He says, okay, I want you to work out your salvation. I want you to grow. I want you to mature. I want you to become more like Jesus. He says, I want you to work it out with fear and trembling. A a, a different translation, maybe something we're more familiar with is, is awe and reverence. And here's why I think Paul says this, and I think this is important. He's talking about our hearts. To be sanctified in our behavior, to be, to, to be more loving, to be more kind, to be more merciful, does not happen by you just look, pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to be more merciful today. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be more loving today. That's what I'm going to do. We try and do that, right? Like, I'm just going to be a better parent. And then your kids wake up and you're like, well, we tried, right? Paul says, you know what you need? You need a heart that's just in, that just has this awe and wonder of Christ. You know, like when you first start dating? Now, if you're like my marriage, it's just perfect, right? So it's always like this, right? I'm joking, obviously. But when you are in love, like you, that one you're dating, when you are in love, they can do no wrong, can they? Right? What is that? You are just so in love with them. And, and you just, you want to serve them. You want to bless them. What is that? You're just so in love with them. Jesus doesn't just want our behavior. He wants our hearts. And that's what makes the gospel so powerful, guys. The gospel is not the message of, well, this will just fix your behavior. The gospel is the power of God to change your heart and change your affections to where you don't just try and be more loving. You desire to be more loving. You want to be a bright light? You want to be a bright light. You need a heart that is on fire for Christ. A heart that is in awe and in wonder. Just says, Jesus, you are the best. And Paul says, that's what I want for you. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, with awe and wonder. Set your eyes not on how you can work harder, not on how you can do better. Set your eyes on Jesus. He'll change your heart. He'll change your actions. And I love this next part. What what does he say? He says, work out your own salvation with with fear and, and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Did you catch that? You work out your own salvation. Like, do something about it. Work at it. Like you're not just going to be more like Jesus the next morning with doing nothing, right? I don't need to read my Bible. I don't need to pray. My salvation is just going to turn into sanctification all by itself. No, no, no. 
We got to be faithful. We got to be obedient. We got to look at Christ with awe and wonder. But then it says, oh, by the way, as you work at it, God is the one doing the work in you. I wrote in my notes simply this. We must work as God works in us. As we are working out our own salvation, as we are setting our eyes on Christ, God is doing something in us. He is doing something in you and through you. And and let me ask you this. What if God wants to work in you and through you in a way that can only be explained by him. Because that's what's powerful about this verse. That's what's powerful about this passage. It's saying that God is at work in you, and he's going to work in a way that can only be explained by him. I mean, if I could write a a list of life goals, that would be near the top. God, I want you to work in me and through me in a way that can only be explained by you. I want people to look at my life and go, how? Where? What? Are you you kidding me? There's something about you. What is it? And I can go, you should meet my king. Don't you, don't you want that? That's what's offered to us. And, and Paul says, he says, For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. God is at work in your life. Do you believe that? God is at, your, at work in your life. To will and to work for his good pleasure. Now there's a sense in maybe some of us, or at least I used to be this way, and we're like, what about my good pleasure? Right? Like, what about my wants? What about my desires? Lord, I got a list of things. I really just want you to show up. I, they got to be a part of your will because some of them have Bible verses attached to them or something like that. But when you think about it long enough, or rather, if you've lived long enough, you begin to realize his ways are higher than my ways. His will is greater than my will. His pleasures for my life are far greater than any pleasures I could set for my own life. What might this, what might this look like in someone's life? I'll tell you another story from this book because it's just so riveting. Uh, This is in Russia. This is where it's a closed country. Maybe it's the 70s, 60s. There's a man. um, He grew up in a Christian home, but they shut down the churches. And, uh, And so when he got older, he got married. He had a couple of kids. Never went to church ever anymore because he couldn't. And he all of a sudden, just kind of out of nowhere, got this conviction. I need, to, I need to tell my kids these stories from the Bible. So he asks his wife, and his wife has actually been secretly praying that his husband would 
do this. And so um, once, twice a week, he starts sharing these stories from God's word with his kids. And his kids are loving it. Imagine that, guys. Moms, dads. Let's share the stories of God's word with our kids. They're really good ones. And all of a sudden, um, neighbors want to start showing up. So neighbors start coming. The group go, grows to about 25 plus people, um, 40 plus people. It gets a little problematic because the authorities figure out. They come to him and say, hey, um, we hear that you've started a church in your home. And he's like, he's dead serious. He's like, I didn't start no church. I'm not a pastor. I'm not trained to be a pastor. I'm, we're just singing songs and talking about stories from Scripture. I'm not a pastor. And, and they say, well, you can't do this anymore. What would you do? Here's a man who's like, mm-mm, I'm going to work out my salvation with fear and trembling. And so they come back. Now the group is somewhere around 75 people. The, the authorities come in mid-church service. First time this happens. Mid-church service. We've got to teach this whole group a lesson. They start beating this man. You do this again, you're arrested. Authorities are on their way walking out. There's this old godly woman that looks at like the head authority guy and says, that's a man of God you just beat. And you're going to die because of it. <laughs> you laugh two days later. This guy's in his mid-50s. Dies of, uh, I think it was a heart attack. Word got around. <laughs> the next time, 150 people show up. Can you imagine? Knowing full well it could be at the cost of their life. All the freedom we have, friends. All the freedom we have. Well, the authorities come in. And they said, we told you. And they put him in prison for 17 years. And the man has no regrets. And maybe this is why it's hard for us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Maybe this is why it's, it's hard for us to be light. Because there can be a cost to it, can it? There can. But I wonder if it's worth it. You get a sense, and it didn't say straight up in this story, you get a sense that somewhere around 150 out of the 150 had just come to salvation. Did you go to prison for 17 years to see 150 people get saved? Guys, work out your salvation in God will be at work in you and through you in ways that can only be explained by Him. Work out your salvation. Shine your light. Paul ends this passage and gets a good word for us. He says, 
holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. I am glad and rejoice with all with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. I want to invite the worship team to come up and play as I just close with this last piece. Paul says, I am being poured out for you. And I'm glad. I am glad to pour myself out for your faith because I know you need it. I know you need it. Friends, we need to be reminded that we shine brightest when there's a lot of other light right next to us. Or a few lights next to us. If we want to be bright lights in a dark world, we have to understand that we need people pouring into us to shine brighter and brighter and brighter. It's like a fire, right? The more logs you put on, the hotter it gets, the brighter it gets. We need people pouring themselves out upon our faith, encouraging us, stirring us up, saying, keep shining, keep sharing, keep pointing people to Jesus. And you know what? Other people all around you need you to do the same for them. Who is pouring themselves out in your life so that you would shine brighter? Who are you pouring yourself out into so that they would shine brighter? And by God's grace, may we be a faith family that's just pouring ourselves out upon one another so that we would together shine bright You have people in your life. I want you to think of them right now. I got mine. People in your life that do not know Christ. And God put you in their life. And you need to pray for them. You need to get on your knees and plead for the Lord that God would be at work in their life. And may I dare to say that you'd get on your knees and say, God, would you open up a door for me to share the gospel? And and would you then give me the courage to, to speak it? Imagine what this faith family would look like. We shine this bright in a dark world. Just picture in the day where people are up here getting saved, your friends, your family members, your neighbors, your co-workers who are saying, I came to Christ because of them. Wouldn't that be amazing? Let's shine our lights, friends. Let's shine them bright.